live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Welcome to the program. Always an honor to be in for the Hall of Famer and be a part of the biggest and most important show in our industry. Coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. Whether you're looking to purchase a new home or refinance yours, Rocket Mortgage can help you get there. For home loan solutions that fit your life, Rocket can. Brian Weber with you, pausing so I can hear the groan. No! You knew Jim was on vacation. You enjoyed best of yesterday. Here's the good news. I'm only here today. Three hours is all you have to contend with. And by now, as I always start groveling for your affection, hopefully by now you know the goal is to be clone-friendly and interactive. We're going wall-to-wall football. We're going to jump right in with our takeaways on the Tua story. A jungle trifecta based on what has occurred in the NFL over the last 24 hours. Nathaniel Hackett's, can't hack it. Jim Mercer's team, love to see it, love to see it, and Reed is running the board, so I'll be doing my own drops today. His team getting pushed around once more on national TV, and Nick Foles played last night. I was looking for the thermos you keep mentioning. I did not see it on Monday Night Football, so we got a ton to get to. But as always, I'm looking to carve out opportunities for you to be a part of the program. 1-800-636-8686. 1-800-636-8686. Email, still a possibility. RomanAvitake.com. Twitter, when I'm in this reinforced chair, is your best avenue to have your voice heard. B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs. And today, in fact, all week long, but I'm only here today and next Monday, so I only care about today. Today, to get on the air or to have your tweet read because I still can't get Wi-Fi on my old crappy computer from Radio Shack. You have to get past a fellow named John. That's all I was told. Rid is back from vacation. John apparently is camera shy. Not real legs. We're on national television as well. The phenomenal simulcast on CBS Sports Network. I walked in. I said, good morning, Garrett. Don't know why he needs a vacation. Every day is a holiday, but... Are we even on the air? Is this thing on? I will do my best to assume the ones and twos are coming across your radio. I was introduced to John, and I was told John will be the producer. And here is my tip to you. If you want to survive in any business, just go, sounds good. And I walked over here and got on my phone. John, I don't know a last name. I don't know professional background. I don't know how Ritt met him. I don't know where John is from. I did briefly, after I read my resume to John and told him how important I am, said, John, as the social medias are today, get ready for the audience to draw its conclusions as to who you might look like. A doppelganger on a Big Word Tuesday. John came back independently. He gets comparisons to George Bush. Maybe. And John from Chips fame. Now, I'm 53, so that resonated with me, and now he's going with the shades. Everybody becomes a star on this program. So if you know who Larry Wilcox is, if you've ever met Eric Estrada, if you have Chips knowledge, John will pass me your tweets, and now we are ready to go. I have a business decision to make. Do I start with Tua? Or do I get into the fallout from Monday Night Football? Plus, we have to address, and I know Jim values his vacation. Nobody works harder in our industry. He's pushing out content across the platforms. And I'm Brian Weber, in for Jim Rome, 1-800-636-8686. Hit me up on Twitter, B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs. With the news that old Nate Hackett is unemployed, I'm sure Jim was thinking, this couldn't happen when I'm actually working given all of the takes that old Nate has generated. But I want to start with Tua because I think it's the far most important story of the last day across the NFL. And then we can transition into having a bit more frivolity. So for the second time officially, Tua is being evaluated as he's in concussion protocol. We don't know the diagnosis. But we all have eyes, and we also all saw Tua go down 
against the Buffalo Bills with what was called a back injury at the time, somehow allowed to come back into the game four days later on Thursday Night Football, that horrific moment as Tua went down again, wound up in a medical center, and now we know because Tua was candid and forthright, and I applaud him for being honest about what he was dealing with after the Dolphins lost to the Packers, and I also want to be up front If you go to my Twitter account, I was bearing Tua like the rest of you because that second half was a debacle, three consecutive interceptions thrown. Well, perhaps we have context now. If, in fact, the telling hit was delivered towards the end of the second quarter, how in the world was he even functioning out there in the second half? But there are still so many questions to be answered, and I don't want to jump to conclusions, but I'll take a step back. If, in fact, this is diagnosed as the second official concussion and we all saw what happened against Buffalo, I'm not pretending to be a doctor as the fill-in host. Let's call it a third incident against the Bills. Is there any rational way that Tua can be cleared for the rest of this season? I realize that he missed two games after what happened in Cincinnati. I understand the playoff significance. If you want to run through all the scenarios, I have no life. I write things out longhand on a manila folder so I can memorize. We can talk about how the Patriots, who will face presumably Teddy Bridgewater on Sunday, benefit. How the Jets, as they go back to Mike White, benefit. How even the Steelers, who are still alive, thanks to Derek Carr's latest meltdown, and we'll talk about his future in Las Vegas. If you're paying attention, a lot more signs pointing to the Raiders taking advantage of their option to move on from Carr without any financial implications at the conclusion of the playoffs. But with all those things established, I'm most concerned about Tua's well-being, and I want to use him as a foundation for a larger conversation If player safety has any real importance, if it's not just a marketing slogan, if it's not just a buzzword, how can Tua be allowed to come back on the field after a third head injury? This is not getting your bell rung like it was for those of us who played pop Warner football until we were told you're no good and you can't play freshman ball in high school. This is not seeing stars. This is a head injury, and we have far more information now about concussions than we did even 10 years ago. We have learned through respect to neurologists, the impact of a head injury is magnified exponentially every time one occurs. So we're saying now three incidents for Tua, and we can wait for the official diagnosis. But three things we all saw, although candidly, none of us saw it in real time, second quarter against the Packers, but three things that we now have a strong suspicion involve a brain injury. If that is not jarring enough for you to say the decision has to be taken out of Tua's hands, that he cannot be allowed to play for the rest of the year, don't... Skip the timeline because I'm hearing a lot. Well, this is three things that have occurred this season. This is three traumatic brain injuries potentially in the span of just over four months. Think about how rapid a timeline that is. So I understand why Tua is going to want to get out there beyond the playoff implications. If you want the football take, I think the Dolphins will be okay with Teddy Bridgewater. That's why they paid him over $6 million bucks to be the most established backup in the league. You can put, I think, anybody out there so long as they don't have three consecutive interceptions and can find Waddle and Hill, and the Dolphins should still play their way into the playoffs. But for Tua, there are much larger implications in addition to what should be the primary concern, which is his well-being and safety and having a functioning brain when he's 75 years old. Tua has to be aware of all the chatter surrounding him because the Dolphins could not have been more obvious over the last year. They were looking to move on from him. They flirted 
overtly with Deshaun Watson. They were found guilty by the league of tampering with Tom Brady. Remember, everything was lined up for Tom Brady to come to Miami, have a piece of the team with Sean Payton as his head coach, and then the Brian Flores litigation kicked in. So Tua knows all those things, and he also has to be mindful if he does not play the rest of this year, what happens next season? And you could say the Dolphins have gone all in to justify, in retrospect, what was an obvious mistake. Sure, they should have taken Justin Herbert. And think about the evolution of how we perceive the Tua situation. Not too long ago, it was tank for Tua. He was in such high regard by that fan base that they went all in and they were comfortable with what we found to be about 95% documented by the league. The Stephen Ross, yes, the owner of the Dolphins who got suspended, certainly wanted his team to lose to maximize their draft possibilities. And if you're thinking about the Dolphins being one quarterback away, Tom Brady is making it clearer and clearer on his podcast with that stooge Jim Gray alongside that he wants to play next year, even if it's not in a winning situation. What about Aaron Rodgers? Does he want out? Would Miami be the perfect destination if they're willing to send the same kind of draft capital back to Green Bay that Seattle got for Russell Wilson? There are so many different components to this, but it's got to start with Tua's well-being. And we'll wait to find out the official diagnosis, but if in fact this is a second concussion and a third head incident, I'll put it that way because I'm not a physician, there is no way in my estimation he can be allowed back on the field for the rest of this year, playoffs included. I'm Brian Weber in for Jim Rome. 1-800-636-8686. Emails, romanhavatake.com. Wide open in this first hour of the program. We don't have a guest joining us until... We get deep into our number two of the show when we check in with Josh Alper from ProFootballTalk.com. Let's make the move to Nate Canhackett. And I'm so glad Ritt is here, although I have a dilemma because I'm still trying to figure out who John is and what it's all about. John, if that's your real name, right? Every clone is used, oh, my name is John as well, looking for company on a Friday night. I can't look to my right. And writ as crazy I McGee to my left, I'm in trouble. So I'm just going to play it neutral right here and just stare at myself on the monitor because, after all, I am a narcissist. The first thing that occurred to me yesterday when I heard the news that finally, you know that drop, Rit, finally, I'm going to have to finally. push the buttons myself, <laughs> Nate Can Hackett was relieved of his duties. The first inclination I had was, what took so freaking long? Because... As a daily listener to this program and someone who watches the simulcast at the gym, and yes, occasionally I go there, who has given this program more content since September than Nate Can't Hackett? Go back to his debacle of a debut on Monday Night Football when he settled and played for, what was it, a 67-yard field goal attempt with Russell Wilson back home in Seattle tried to defend it post-game, came around the following day and said, yeah, with the benefit of hindsight, that was not the best decision. And that should have told us he should have been fired justifiably after that game. Now, you could say, hey, fill-in guy, whoever you are, you're being harsh. Okay, did it ever get better for Nathaniel Hackett in the midst of the 4-11 and disaster? Because he followed up the Monday night meltdown with – Some of the most abhorrent clock management we have ever seen. It got so bad, the crowd at Mile High was counting down the play clock because he couldn't get the plays in on time. So they bring in Jerry Rosberg, brought him out of retirement. He's going to be their head coach and get a nice check for the last couple games of the regular season. They took away clock management from Nate Canhackett. Then they took away the play calling. He was actually doing less than Garrett Ritz. If possible, but rock bottom, and I don't want to do my Jim Ross, rock bottom, rock bottom, I got to save the voice, rock bottom undeniably was Christmas Day. 
and I get paid to watch these games. And if you had a life and you want to chime in on anything that occurred on the authentic Christmas Eve Red Zone experience, we'll get to Monday Night Football momentarily. The game's on Christmas night. I even stayed up for overtime. Arizona gave Brady another gift with that fumble late in regulation. But it got so bad when the Rams were hanging half a hundred on the Broncos, that you had the offensive line in a verbal altercation with Brett Rippon, the backup quarterback. I know we played last week, but this is the backup quarterback joining with the O-line. You had Randy Gregory looking like Ron Artest postgame. You had a defense that did not want to be there, and Russell Wilson was as erratic as Tua on the first couple drives. He looked like Nick Foles did last night. And let's not sleep on the fact that members of the Walton family who have Walmart money and paid $4.5 billion for this team are also related by marriage to Stan Kroenke, who married into the Walton family, who owns the Rams. And you can't tell me that was not one additional catalyst to say, bye-bye Hackett. So, where the Broncos go from here? Nowhere you could say, well... They're losing, and sometimes that can be winning because at least they'll have a high draft pick. No, they won't. They sent that to Seattle as part of the Kings' ransom they gave the Seahawks to get Russell Wilson. Thank you. The key moving forward is a head coach who can try to fix Russ. You're hearing the usual suspects, and we'll get to Sean Payton last, but Dan Quinn the hot coordinator, unless he thinks he can outlast Mike McCarthy, who will get fired maybe as soon as this postseason when he makes a cataclysmic error like he did last year against the 49ers. I think we should be talking more about Jim Harbaugh. Why would Harbaugh not at least have an interview with the Broncos as he did with the Vikings last year? You could say, well, he's a Michigan man. By his own admission, Harbaugh says he has un. Finished business in the NFL, having lost that Super Bowl to his brother coming up nine years ago. It'll be a decade in February when the Ravens outlasted the Niners when the lights went out in New Orleans. And then there's Sean Payton. And it really comes down to this. Does Sean Payton want to play the long game and inherit Justin Herbert whenever the Chargers wise up and realize that Brandon Staley, and more to the point, his clueless offensive coordinator, Joe Lombardi, don't know what they're doing. And we'll talk about that in detail coming up in the next segment with our takeaways from Monday Night Football. If you're Sean Payton, do you just want to go for even more cash? So it's the old line from Wall Street. Everyone always talks about greed is good. Here's the line you forget. How many boats can you water ski behind, Gordon? How much <laughs> lunches for whips? How much more does Sean Payton need? Now, if I'm his agent, you can go to the Walton family and it's name your price. $12 million, $14 million, pick a number. But with that comes, I think, a unresolvable dilemma. Whomever the next head coach is going to be hired in Denver is also going to be tasked with fixing Russell Wilson. And I don't know how you do that. Because that cliff we've been talking about for Tom Brady for years, and he's slowly declining. Russ has fallen off of it. And it might as well be Mount Everest. And he didn't have a Sherpa to pull him back up. He's fallen and he can't get up. And we could talk about, say, what Mike McDaniels meant to Tua and the value of a head coach and a quick turnaround. But this is not new for Russ. Yes, it was Grizzly on Christmas when Baker Mayfield looked like a combination of Johnny Unitas and Aaron Rodgers. No, oh, by the way, Aaron Rodgers not dead yet. We'll talk about the NFC playoff picture coming up. If you're Peyton, do you want this job knowing that I don't fully think even an offensive mastermind like Peyton can make Russ relevant again? I think whatever word you want to use, regression, slippage, erosion of skill set, but that's also coupled with the fact they're on the hook, and you keep hearing $250 million bucks, and I know it's a sexy term to say a quarter of a billion. It's about 160 of guaranteed money. Still real money, and more to the point, they're locked in And they're going to be in the Russell Wilson business, whether they like it or not, for the next two to three years at a minimum. We got it. So a lot to unpack there. I still have to get to Jim Irsay. Love to see it. Love to see it. The return of Nick Foles. John is probably reading 
15 tweets from Greg Norman that he does not <laughs> have any context it. for. Love to see I it. will translate coming up with your tweets on the way. You want to pick up the phone? It's 1-800-636-8686. So coming up, we'll get into Monday Night Football. I mentioned sometimes losing can be winning as you maximize your draft possibility. Winning can be losing. Charger fan, you're stuck with Brandon Staley because just think about how good Justin Herbert would look beyond his generational talent if he had an offensive-minded head coach. We'll get there next, and we will follow the holiday spirit. So yesterday was filled with jokes as old Nate Hackett was put on permanent layaway. Boxing Day, the day after Christmas, he was returned. Good thing Denver kept the receipts. We're going to go around the NFL. Who else has buyer's remorse across the National Football League. I got a question for you. Why is Old Trapper beef jerky like the best thing ever? Well, there is something to be said for a family business, which stands by quality and produces the world's finest beef jerky. Do not be fooled by other brands. All beef jerky is not the same. Make sure you choose Old Trapper, where you can actually see the quality right through their iconic Clearview packages. Every single bite of Old Trapper is tender, never tough, because they only use the best ingredients. From their lean strips of beef, seasoned with top-quality spices to their real wood-fired smoke, Old Trapper delivers quality in every single bite and... Old Trapper Jerky comes in four mouth-watering flavors. Old Fashion, which is classic beef jerky flavor. Tender, smoky, and delicious. You've got Teriyaki with the yellow label, where Old Trapper turned the flavor down to 11. Hot and spicy, with a spice so nice you'll want to snack twice. Peppered, tender, seasoned beef covered in cracked pepper. And you can grab and go with a 4-ounce bag or load up with an 18-ounce bag. That way you've got enough for the entire team or fam or both. If you don't see it, ask for Old Trapper by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what is your beef? B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs. The audience still fascinated by who our producer is today. And this is another staple of the holidays. Theoretically, I have survived because I could go through the litany of producers I have worked with on this program. Who's my favorite? Well, Rid, of course, because he's staring at me. Garrett, just look down and push the right button. We have the no eye contact rule, as always. Garrett is Alvin, and then there's a fella named John. That's all I was told when I got to the studio. He's a nice man, very cordial. I'm told he's going to be here all week. So the good news is for John and for the rest of you, I'm not back until next Monday. You've won the lottery. Bill Ryder tomorrow, the great Mike Yeah, my friend, who I work with the Pac-12 Network. He went to Fordham University. I went to Fordham Prep. Vince Scully's alma mater. I was at NFL Network for a mug of coffee. He's still there. Mike will be here Thursday and Friday. And hopefully you will have a great time with us before Jim comes back from the much-deserved vacation on Tuesday. Your tweets in 20 minutes. Keep them flowing. B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs in 40 minutes. We bring in our first guest. That's Josh Alper from ProFootballTalk.com. We'll react to today's news. It's more of an honorarium. Not a huge surprise that J.J. Watt has announced his retirement at the end of the season. We'll put the career and legacy in perspective. And we will go back to the dominant themes from the first hour. We talked a lot of Tua and the... Developments within the concussion protocol. We talked about the long overdue decision to fire Nate Canhacken as Sean Payton, the clear leader to be the Broncos head coach next year. And gave you takeaways from Monday Night Football. I cannot put lipstick on that pig. That game was unwatchable most of the night. But most importantly, for Charger fans, going back to the playoffs for the first time since 2018, and for casual fans... Casuals, as the kids put it, we're going to see Justin Herbert play in the postseason. And let's talk about the AFC and stack the elite teams because Herbert now joins a list, much like the list of producers I've worked with on this program. I'm an Austin Huff guy, love Austin Huff, of luminaries at the quarterback position, specifically when you think about the AFC. So you have Herbert now along with Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Mahomes, Joe Burrow, and hopefully 
a healthy Lamar Jackson. Mahomes? I'm not going to try to slot those quarterbacks. I can, though, give you the hierarchy of the teams, and I'm not just blindly following the standings. And if you're just looking for the best way to come up with context for Buffalo and KC, who are so close. Remember, Buffalo does have the head-to-head victory and a measure of payback after the infamous 13 seconds last year in the playoffs. But there is so little to divide and distinguish Buffalo and KC. I put them right alongside each other. 1-1-A doesn't matter other than home field advantage. Home field advantage in Buffalo means... A lot of snow as a possibility, as we saw going back to Tua playing well in defeat a couple weeks ago, as that was foreshadowing, unfortunately, the debacle of the performance we saw from Tua. Although now, come to find out, he might have suffered that head injury in the second quarter prior to throwing the three interceptions in the loss to the Packers. So you have the Chiefs, who somehow find a way, mostly because of the brilliance of Mahomes. Although, if you're paying attention, they are running a bit more. And it's not just air it out because they didn't want to pay Tyreek Hill. Now, it's plug-and-play for them based on the brilliance of Mahomes. And if you're thinking MVP, you can give them Mahomes. You can give Jalen Hurts. I'm cool either way. we got to find out more about Hurts' availability. And I'm going to get to the NFC momentarily. Philadelphia and Buffalo, from my perspective, have the most complete rosters in all of football. Not much to separate those teams. However... As much as I embrace and buy into the Eagles, it has to be a bit jarring. And I realize we're talking about Gardner Minshew through a pair of interceptions, but both those balls might have been catchable, but goes down on the stat sheet as a pair of picks. Gardner Minshew did not play defense. And the Eagles, who have been locking teams down, especially with the secondary, led by Bradbury and Slay, the most opportunistic defensive unit in all of football, leading the way when it comes to an offense that has carried the load, scoring 30 points, and then the defense shutting down the opposition. Well, everything changed against the Cowboys. And I'm focusing on the defense because Dallas put up 40. And remember, seven of those points that Philadelphia scored without Jalen Hurts, out with the shoulder injury, came courtesy of a Christmas donation from Dak Prescott on the bat in the air, and Sweat takes it back for the touchdown play. But I got to give a lot of props to Dak. That might have been his best bounce-back performance we've ever seen. And there are a lot of reasons to like the Cowboys, despite Mike McCarthy. But I'm going to hold off on that. We're going to go in-depth on the NFC later on the program. But Eagle fans, you should be disturbed by the 40 points Dallas put up there because if Dallas can do that, isn't there the real possibility that other teams, namely the 49ers, less explosive, but very creative with Kyle Shanahan's offensive play calling, I think the Niners could erupt as well if Philadelphia has another rough day. I'm Brian Weber, in for Jim Rome. You can chime in at 1-800-636-8686. Your tweets now 10 minutes away. B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs. But I'm trying to be disciplined here as I methodically work through the AFC. What I liked about Buffalo's last game, and I know hopefully you have lives and meaningful connections and interpersonal relationships and didn't watch football all weekend. I have none of those things. It's my occupation After all, so I watched the Red Zone all day long on Saturday. As an aside, and this is not just a jungle tie-in, with the NFL grabbing additional billions of dollars now and the Sunday ticket gravitating to YouTube, unfortunately, we're going to go down to one Red Zone, and unless something changes, Andrew Siciliano will no longer be part of the other Red Zone, the original Red Zone. And I just say this as someone who used to work for DirecTV, And I did the baseball version of the Red Zone for two years. Just pay attention to the difference in hosting acumen and production. If you go back and forth between those shows, it's going to be a real loss if we lose that crew. That's your commentary. Riding the Red Zone that I have to watch, thanks to my cable provider. What I liked about what Buffalo did, albeit against a horrendous Chicago team. If you're paying attention, Buffalo ran the football. What do you know? 
250 rushing yards. Now, the issue for Josh Allen, and I love the physicality. I love the mindset. He wants to extend plays. He's got to get smarter as the career continues to extend his career because he continues to put his body on the line too much. But you throw in Devin Singletary and the emergence of James Cook, we've been talking about what does Buffalo need other than to close out a playoff game with 13 seconds left? What does Buffalo need to do to take the next step? Many of us wanted to see a more consistent running attack. I realize the opponent matters. It was Chicago, but at least there was a commitment to the run. So much you like about Buffalo. You know about Kansas City. Bengals tried their damnedest to give that game away against New England. They still won. We'll just put that one down as a asterisk without losing. Remember, if the Patriots don't fumble inside the 10 on the potential game-winning drive, that's a Bengal loss, snapping the six-game winning streak. Instead, Cincinnati now has won seven in a row. And don't overlook the adversity they have overcome. Remember that slow start? When Joe Burrow was getting abused. Now, Lyle Collins is banged up, and that's a huge loss because Burrow has taken a beating early in his career. Still, they've gotten healthier with the return of Jamar Chase and Mixon in and out of the lineup. I think the Bengals are just a slight step below Buffalo and Kansas City. And then, what do we make of the Ravens? Well, I can't give you a strong takeaway on them until we know the status of Lamar Jackson. And Harbaugh yesterday flat out said, we got to wait and see. Now, it's immaterial other than trying to get Lamar ramped up for the postseason if Jackson can play against Pittsburgh in the game that got flexed out to the Sunday night game because Baltimore already locked up a wild card. Still, what do the Ravens do well beyond the incredible skill set of Lamar Jackson? As a team, they run the ball and they stop the run. That's a powerful combination come playoff time, especially if you have to go on the road. And the Chargers have punched their ticket. First time since 2018. I can't fully buy into the Chargers as much as I'm trying to be objective because I've seen this movie over and over and over and over again. Remember when Clemsoning was a thing? And they changed that with the national championships. Chargering is still very much a thing. I only have to go back to the regular season finale last year in Las Vegas when all they had to do was tie the Raiders and both teams were going to the playoffs and Brandon Staley lost his freaking mind again. I realize Staley is a friend of the program. He seems like a very bright guy, so I will tread lightly. But I can't varnish my opinions. I will give Staley a degree of credit for being less blindly reckless. He's not gone for it over and over and over, although that Cleveland game, he escaped with what should have been a loss. My larger concern with the Chargers comes down to, and these things are evolving, why are they always seemingly leading the league in injuries? What is it about this team that every time you look through the IR or even just aches and pains, all their best players are hurt? Now, Here's the good news for the seven Charger fans who can show me their lightning bolts after the program. Finally, Garrett, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams have gotten healthy. Bosa's getting closer to coming back. I know Derwin James had the kerfuffle, one of my favorite words, last night. But he's been in and out of the lineup. So if I'm just being unbiased, and we all have a bias, but if I'm taking a step back to give you the micro view, Chargers are a team I don't think anybody wants to play. Other than they're the Chargers. And I could see Staley making just bizarre decisions like he did towards the end of the Tennessee game where the clock management was was as bad as how I mapped out the program in hour number one. He's calling timeouts for no reason. Not, I think, thinking ahead that if Tennessee scores, I'm still going to need the timeouts myself. And then, what do you know? He gets bailed out by Justin Herbert because he has a transcendent skill set. At the bottom of the AFC, I hope it's Miami just as a viewer. I think Teddy Bridgewater can do enough to get them into the postseason. Does anybody want to see the Steelers? Although, 
for all the bashing of Mike Tomlin, and I was guilty on social media as well, don't you know they're 7-8? and eight? He finds a way, and you can say he has too loose of a culture or players feel like they can be themselves too much, and that feels like a vestige of the Antonio Brown era. But the gradual development of Pickett, and mostly the gift from the Raiders, because the Raiders always this year with Josh McDaniels, who's not going anywhere because Mark Davis doesn't have the money to pay him to go away because he's still paying Chunky, using the verbiage here, Coach Coach Gruden. I love, by the way, as a host, when everybody calls a coach. And you might notice I only talk to, quote-unquote, journalists. Yeah, I got Josh Alper coming up sinking. in 25 minutes. We're talking college football to wrap up the program. Bud Elliott from CBSSports.com. I don't That's feel the need to have a coach come on and say nothing to me. And I don't want to call him coach 17 times, so I have to be deferential. But that's, again, my aside and probably why I'm the guest host and not with you on a more (laughs) regular basis on any platform. If you are going through the teams that stand out across the entire NFL, I just gave you the majority of them coming from the AFC. Buffalo, Kansas City, Cincinnati, Baltimore, uh, I don't know about Lamar Jackson, and I can't talk myself into the Chargers. And irrespective of the Tua developments, and we don't have the diagnosis of the concussion officially made yet, but back in protocol prior to that, and again, I'll self-report, I was killing Tua because I have eyes, and when a guy throws back-to-back-to-back picks, you have to have an emotional response. Miami, I have a block with them as well. I just want to see the most entertaining potential matchups, and I cannot, for the life of me, bear the Steelers in the postseason, the Patriots, and then there's the Jets. In fact, the Jets are such a dumpster fire, they deserve their own monologue, and that is coming up. But since it's been a lot of me and not too much of you, we'll rectify that in less than seven minutes. Your tweets are on the way. B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs. So you're hanging out with some friends and you're putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. And as the evening comes to an end, people start to head out and you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You're good. You can make it. It's not that big of a deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill somebody. Everybody knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic. They're often deadly. However, that still does not stop everybody from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. This is why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads in order to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe. Plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or somebody else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over, paid for by NHTSA. Let's keep the NFL conversation going with the possibility of your phone calls looming in the final hour of the program. 1-800-636-8686. Emails with a huge email coming up in that last hour as well. RomanAvitake.com. More of your tweets on the way. B.W. Weber. Weber with two Bs. Always a pleasure to say hello to an old friend, Josh Alper from ProFootballTalk.com. Josh, happy holidays. How are you? I am great. Happy holidays to you and all everyone else over there. I appreciate you taking the time. Let's start with J.J. Watt's retirement announcement. Not surprising news given all of the injuries he's dealt with and the long and accomplished career. And he looked good against... The Buccaneers in the final game on Christmas night. If you try to sum up his career, we know in the history of the modern league, Alan Page, Lawrence Taylor, the only defensive players to win the MVP award. Watt did not achieve that, but would you put him on the short list of the most impactful defensive players since the merger? Yeah, three defensive players of the year. I I think that if, if you put him in this era... It's it's him and it's Aaron Donald. I, I think there are a couple other guys who look like they may be coming up and, and have that kind of an influence. But guys for you know for a decade or more to really impact games on a weekly basis, stop the run, rush the passer, do a little bit of everything. And and with Watt, you know he scored a few touchdowns on offense too. 
I, I think the big glaring thing with J.J. Watt in comparison to those other guys is, uh, you know, the lack of postseason success. And obviously that's not going to happen with Arizona here. That doesn't limit what he did as an individual, but, you know, would have loved to see him in a Super Bowl or two over the course of his career. First ballot Hall of Famer, no doubt. Let's shift our attention to the latest developments across the league. The Tuatunga Vailoa news yesterday was jarring. We all watched what happened against the Bills, but officially that did not involve concussion protocol. We saw what happened against Cincinnati four days later. And then evidently, as he talked about his symptoms on Monday, and we're all trying to figure out what happened probably towards the end of that second quarter against the Packers, he's back in concussion protocol for the second time. Josh, whether he has the diagnosis of a concussion or not, just from the standpoint of optics, how can anybody allow Tua back on the field for the rest of the year? I I don't know how you can, and I I think that there has to be a lot of discussion of this and and the same way there was after they you know absolutely botched that that first uh apparent concussion by calling it a back injury and and you know there needs to be harder i think return to play guidelines and I, i know that's unfortunate for players who may be you know, on the milder side of symptoms and feel ready, you know, to come back a little bit earlier. But we're, we're just seeing it more and more that uh, he, it wasn't only him this year. Christian Darisaw from the Vikings, we've seen it with some other players where they, they get cleared in a week and then get a concussion again the next week. That's that's so much worse than three concussions over three years. And it's something that, you know, you have to look at very seriously about wh- whether Tugavailoa can, can play in the NFL. If, if there's any reason why you doubt that, I, I think it needs to be taken a, a, a very deep study before he gets on the field, and you can't do that in the time left this season. Well said. I'm Brian Weber in for Jim Rome, talking NFL with Josh Alper from ProFootballTalk.com. So it's already now the speculation game in Denver after Nathaniel Hackett finally got pushed out yesterday. Would you say Sean Payton is the prohibitive favorite if he wants the job and he can name his price with the Walton family having unlimited resources. It feels like Peyton can go to Denver. If not, who else comes to mind? I've been kicking out Dan Quinn, and should we throw the name of Jim Harbaugh in the mix as well? Uh, I think those names all make sense. Obviously, I think Peyton and Harbaugh would be, I I think, if I were looking for a coach, I I would be putting them probably at the top of the list. I, I think that you have new ownership, you want to make a splashy hire, and you want to get as far away from the you know absolute dumpster fire of a season that this is. And, and with Peyton and Harbaugh, you have guys that have had success with different kinds of quarterbacks. So I think that should be significant. I think that that's something that I would be much more concerned about with Dan Quinn. If, if you're talking about Dan Quinn and you know Brian Schottenheimer or Daryl Bevel, guys who worked with Wilson in Seattle, Wilson was dying to get out of Seattle because of the way they used him in their offense. Now, in hindsight, it looks like the Seahawks had it right and Wilson had it wrong. But we, uh, I, I think we have to look at it from the Peyton point of view. Is, is this the best chance of success being saddled with Russell Wilson? No draft picks, bad salary cap situation because of it, and they're going to have to give up even more to get him free from the Saints. So I, I think that Peyton may find another landing spot more to his liking um, and Harbaugh, I think, you know, the Colts, I think, are going to make a real hard push for Harbaugh. And I think that that may be a cleaner starting point because you don't have to deal with the fact that Russell Wilson may be completely washed. Josh Alper, ProFootballTalk.com, is our guest. Eagles missing Jalen Hurts. That is an important dynamic, but Jalen Hurts doesn't play defense. So, Josh, you view Philadelphia any differently, understanding how solid that defense has been, opportunistic, leading the league in takeaways. They gave up 40 points to the Cowboys, and overall, Eagles had four turnovers in the loss. Well, yeah, and I well, I think the turnovers play right into that, right? The, the Miles Sanders fumble, you know, the, the, these were prime scoring opportunities for the for the Cowboys. And, and remember, the Eagles – scored a touchdown of their own defensively. I think the defense is all right, but I am, I would be concerned if Avante Maddox is out for the long run. You, you don't want to lose cornerbacks going into the, into the playoffs. 
Uh, Jordan Davis got hurt. Lane Johnson, I, that's on the offensive side of the ball. But the Eagles have had some pretty good injury luck to this point in the season. If that continues to, to go the other way, that's, you know, that's a big concern. To lose starters, you know, several starters in a week is a big deal. They have good depth, but you only have so much depth at this time of the year. There's only so many places you can go to fill up the roster. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think that there's a little bit of fatigue as they get close to the finish line. Obviously, they're going to be in the playoffs, and I do think they'll finish out as a, a win in one of these two games. But right now it feels like the 49ers are ascending and the Eagles are, are declining. And you led me where I wanted to go. So with the 49ers now leading the league in defense, McCaffrey looking so dynamic in so many different ways, and Brock Purdy exceeding all expectations as the last player taken in the draft. I read on ProFootballTalk.com, Jimmy Garoppolo is out of the walking boot. What does Kyle Shanahan do when Jimmy G's healthy at quarterback? I don't, I don't think you, you know, to, to quote Bull Durham, you don't mess with a winning streak. That's not verbatim, but, you know, there's, some, uh, there's something to sticking with what's working, and it's working with Brock Purdy, and you haven't had – it's not like you all of a sudden offensively have taken a step backward. It's, it's almost the opposite. You have no Debo Samuel, and, and you're not missing a beat with anything offensively. In all honesty, you know, you have to kind of balance it out what goes on this season. You're going to throw Jimmy Garoppolo into a playoff game without having played for weeks, and he loses. That That's a bad look for, for Kyle Shanahan. You stick with Brock Purdy and you lose, then, you know, you, you played the hand that you were dealt and you did the best with it. I, I think that's the way you got to go with the 49ers unless – Purdy has has a terrible game here in the regular season that makes you think twice. I, I think that you have to be all in with him and, and all in with, you know, eliminating the distractions that would come with a, a quarterback change in the postseason. Josh, terrific information as always. I appreciate you being generous with your time. Hope you and your family enjoy the rest of the holidays, and we'll chat with you soon. All right. You have a great one. Josh Alper, ProFootballTalk.com, part of Mike Florio's media empire. And we don't just have guests on that I agree with. We like lively discourse. That's why I come in and yell at Ritt during the breaks. Are we on the air? His name is John. He just nods at me. John now is leading the way for XR4TI member of the year. I don't have a vote. There's only been one show, but John's my guy. Big bad John. Josh and I have the same view of the 49ers, and I agree under center. Now, I can understand if you're a Jimmy G fan and you point out, hey, loud guy, whoever you are, Jimmy G played in the Super Bowl and last year made it to the NFC title game. Well, remember, it was because of the ensemble, because of the defense, because of Kittle, because of Debo Sample, and Kyle Shanahan can get any buddy that he plugs into the running back spot. This is prior to picking up Christian McCaffrey to be a productive running back. May I remind you, I can close my eyes. Jimmy G with a horrible overthrow in the Super Bowl. Oh, Emmanuel Sanders. Eh, I don't want to hook up with him. And how did the NFC title game end? Jimmy G with an interception. So unless Purdy suddenly wakes up and reminds himself, I'm Brock Purdy. I have no business playing at this level. And maybe he does. Again, I was not paying attention to statistics. I once got a 37 out of 100. Grad school, mind you, because I used to be smart. The median, whatever the hell that is, was 82. I'm told that was an easy test. Uncle Brian pulled in a 37. But I remember the term <laughs> regression to the mean. Below Purdy is good. due for all you degenerate gamblers, right? Doesn't he have to play like Brock Purdy again? Apparently not. He's Joe Montana. You can't slow him down. And we'll get back to the Niners, the Cowboys. I'll make a Dallas case coming up. The elite teams across the AFC. I'm not wasting time on the Tennessee Titans. Although I do think Aaron Rodgers could win a Super Bowl there next year. Ooh, Rip woke up for that. <laughs> Jay Woods of OmegaTaxCredits.com is with me now. You've actually started a new operation, a new wing, Omega Funding Solutions. Exactly what is that and how does that work? You file an amended payroll tax return with the IRS. 
and the IRS is backed up. You know, they were hit by COVID too. They had the pandemic to deal with. So it's taking them anywhere from six months to a year to process these refunds. So we came out with a solution where we can help you get access to that cash earlier in as, as little as two weeks. See if you qualify for an ERC tax refund from the IRS, OmegaTaxCredits.com. As promised, let's talk college football with an abundance of bowl games to dissect. Looking forward to our conversation with Bud Elliott. You read his fine work on CBSSports.com, 24-7 Sports. Bud, Brian Weber with you. Thanks for taking the time. How are you? Brian, doing well. How are you doing? I am doing well. So you know the college game as well as anybody. And let's take a big-picture look at the games that matter. Jump ahead to the national semifinals, especially with your perspective on recruiting. Think about Georgia as a pipeline to the pros for decades now, sending scores of players to the NFL. But what do you think's allowed Kirby Smart to take that next step, maximizing the talent as the Bulldogs look to defend their national title? Sure, Brian. So, I mean, you know, as you noted, Georgia has developed talent extremely well over the years. And Mark Rick recruited well there before Kirby came. But, you know, Kirby coming on, he basically took that Nick Saban blueprint as, as far as using that organization hiring out an enormous uh, you know, shadow staff, if you will, kind of their, your non-coaches, accountable coaches who are analysts and behind-the-scenes people. And he applied that Nick Saban method in an even more talented state of Georgia than he had when he was the defensive coordinator at Alabama. And, and Georgia's player development, on top of their elite recruiting, has been great. I mean, UGA didn't take a single scholarship player this year in the transfer portal. That's how good they felt about that roster. And if we're thinking about career arcs, how about Stetson Bennett? Because as you know, and I think a lot of casual fans forget, he began his career as a walk-on. He's dealt with so much scrutiny. Here he is, Heisman finalist, and the chance to win a second consecutive national championship. Yeah, and I think it really speaks to the quality of Georgia's roster that a player like Stetson Bennett, who you know is a good college quarterback, and people think he's kind of a caretaker, Honestly, he's a little more athletic than people give him credit for. He does have a little bit of sort of uh, you know, YOLO, if you will, to his <laughs> game. Occasionally, it's just the mobility and accuracy to make it work. And, and you know, Georgia, under offensive coordinator Munkin, has done a really nice job with him. And I just he's just kind of an old guy to be playing college football and, and doesn't seem to panic in the big moment. It is bowl season in college football. We are getting you fully lined up with Bud Elliott. 24-7 sports, cbssports.com. Bud, based on your expertise with player personnel, what do you make of Ohio State? Last time we saw them, they got destroyed by Michigan. Who do you think needs to be impactful? What needs to go right for the Buckeyes to make this game at least competitive on Saturday? Sure. So I, you go back to, the, to that Michigan-Ohio State game, right? Ohio State defensively, the numbers overall were terrible. But if you dig into it, Brian, they allowed – 3.4 yards per play on their other 54 plays. And then on five plays, they allowed 340 yards. I don't know if that's a record, but it's almost just mathematically has to be close. They actually made good defensive strides this year. So I'm going to look to the offensive side of the ball here. T.J. Stroud, when he has everything schemed up for him, is a really good quarterback. When he has to improvise a whole lot, not quite as much. And that's really not you know unique to him, but especially with his game, I do think keeping him clean in the pocket is going to be key. And I think Ohio State's tackles are really good, but I'm a little bit concerned about the Buckeyes' interior three going up against a defensive tackle like Jalen Carter, who is the best interior defensive lineman in the country, a dude whose name will be called very early in the NFL draft next year. How well do they protect the inside so that C.J. Stroud can step up in the pocket so he doesn't have to scramble? That's what I'm going to be looking for. Which sounds like a monumental challenge for Ohio State when you – have the macro view of Georgia, and understandably the Sharpies in Vegas like Georgia in this matchup. How do you think the overall level of talent for the Bulldogs compares to last year's team that won it all? So you don't have quite as many just freaks, if you will, on Georgia's defensive line and front seven. If you watch the Nike Coach of the Year clinic tapes that all the coaches put out, they kind of diagram some plays, right? And Kirby Smart's one this year was actually pretty interesting. I got a good chuckle. He would call out what, what the play was and what, what, what the call was and how they teach it, and then he'd roll the tape. And then he'd be like, well, okay, we actually didn't play this perfectly. This, guy, this center uh, just got picked up by our nose guard and thrown into the fullback, and so that really uh, kind of messed up the offense's angle. And, and so this year I feel like Georgia's defense 
the defensive coaching job they've done is probably even more impressive because you don't have quite as many just generational freaks athletically on that side of the football. I'm Brian Weber in for Jim Rome. We're getting you set for the bowl games that matter, primarily the national semifinals coming up on New Year's Eve, taking you across the college landscape with Bud Elliott from 24-7 Sports, CBSSports.com. Let's shift to number two Michigan, number three TCU. We know what Blake Corum has meant to Jim Harbaugh's team throughout his career. How do the Wolverines try to overcome that loss on Saturday? So there's a kid that everybody should know. His name is Donovan Edwards. I actually bet Donovan Edwards at 300 to one this summer when I was in Vegas to win the Heisman. In case he won the starting job, and he's a true freshman. But I thought he was that talented coming out of high school that in a run-heavy offense, he could put up like 2,000 yards or something crazy. So I really don't think they're going to miss Blake Corum that much. To me, the key is going to be quarterback JJ McCarthy. Can he continue his his good play? over the last month, because he really did improve quite a bit. I think this is kind of what Harbaugh saw in him when he decided to make him the starter. But TCU's defense, it's tricky. I I thought Sonny Dykes made an inspired hire at defensive coordinator in plucking Joe Gillespie from Tulsa. All these coaches in the American Conference who had to face Tulsa year after year should probably send a thank you note to Dykes for, for hiring him away from the Golden Hurricane, because he really has a lot of junk ball defense to throw at you. I guess the question here is, with a month to prepare, can Michigan rep all the different things TCU does defensively enough to where they're not caught off guard? They're not sitting there looking you know, kind of clueless like Texas was down the stretch against them. And I, I, I think Michigan can probably do that. But because you know these rosters so well, tracking these players when they were more key high school performers, let's move beyond, I think, not the most appealing matchups today, but – We've already analyzed the national semifinals. We have all the traditional matchups coming up this year on January 2nd. Is there a game or two you're most looking forward to analyzing and breaking down? Sure. There's really a couple here that are going to feature some young guys getting to play. I'm curious to see this UCLA-Pitt matchup. How many opt-outs will UCLA have? Pitt, we know, already has a couple, but Pitt recruits the defensive line extremely well, and they develop guys and go to the league all the time on the defensive line there, so I'm, I'm fascinated to see that one. I'm also going to look to the Orange Bowl. Clemson against Tennessee. Clemson quarterback Kate Klubnick took over for D.J. Uyangale in the AC title game. That was a big-time win for the Tigers. He looked much better. And, of course, Hendon Hooker being out for Tennessee. Tennessee had a great season, the best season they've had in, in over a decade. Can Joe Milton play well enough in that bowl game to convince Tennessee they don't need to go and take a transfer? Because they have a lot of pieces coming back next year. It should be a dynamic team again, but he has to show a little more accuracy than he's shown so far in his career, both at Michigan and now at Tennessee. Bud, greatly appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much for the insights. Enjoy the games. Enjoy the rest of the holidays. All right, Brian. Be well. Bud Elliott, 24-7 sports, CBSSports.com. In fact, that was so good. It's going to be our huge call. Didn't have a chance to hear from you. Yeah, you. I'm only talking to one person. I'm back on Monday, though, if you want to pick up the phone, 1-800-636-8686. Huge call brought to you by O'Reilly Auto Parts. Thank O'Reilly Auto Parts for all your car care needs. They are close, convenient, and have the parts you need fast, along with excellent customer service from professional parts people you can trust. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit O'ReillyAuto.com. Not telling you what to watch. You can certainly enjoy these less than appealing college football matchups. It's amazing. And I realize TV ratings are a little bit too inside the media industry driven. But these games exist because people watch. They're television shows. So when you see sparsely attended games... I know from an optics standpoint, it's challenging. You figure if no one's going to show up in person, why am I watching? We watch. Why? We're addicted to football. Apparently, Rich Ackerman is addicted to love. That is what we have found out because over the course of three hours, with all of the preparation, five hours of content, I tried to jam into a three-hour bag. The highlight of the program was the comp that John, well, I was told no last name. Apparently, it's Ackerman. So, John, I'm going to need the DNA sample, and I'm going to need a birth certificate. 
And now I have a quest. Look, I have no life. That's well documented. I got a week to get ready for my next fill-in shift. I am now, like Ponch and John, going to be on the case. Hell, I'll come up with a true crime podcast, right? Everybody else is cashing in. What happened to Rich Ackerman's missing child? How did he wind up inside the studio? Why did I have to work with him? All those questions and more will be answered next week. As always, a lot of people to thank. This show is amusing on a variety of levels. Hope you like the sports analysis. I did my best to get some sports in the program as well. So, primarily, thanks to Jim Rome. Hope you know by now, all of you listening, how much it means to me to be in the chair of the Hall of Famer. Greg Hitchin, Spike Eskin, David Murnack, all of the outstanding people at CBS Sports Radio. The XR4TI now includes a fellow named John. Rit was here. Took him an hour to get back off of vacation. Take the mm. rest of the week off. I'm sure Bill Ryder will appreciate that. My name is Brian Weber. I have a lot to ponder now with a few days off. If you don't like me, I got bad news. I'm back with you on Monday. Happy holidays. And we'll talk to you then right here on CBS Sports Radio. I got a question for you. Why is Old Trapper beef jerky like the best thing ever? Well, there is something to be said for a family business, which stands by quality and produces the world's finest beef jerky. Do not be fooled by other brands. All beef jerky is not the same. Make sure you choose Old Trapper, where you can actually see the quality right through their iconic Clearview packages. Every single bite of Old Trapper is tender, never tough, because they only use the best ingredients. From their lean strips of beef, seasoned with top-quality spices to their real wood-fired smoke, Old Trapper delivers quality in every single bite and... Old Trapper Jerky comes in four mouth-watering flavors. Old Fashion, which is classic beef jerky flavor. Tender, smoky, and delicious. You've got Teriyaki with the yellow label, where Old Trapper turned the flavor down to 11. Hot and spicy, with a spice so nice you'll want to snack twice. Peppered, tender, seasoned beef covered in cracked pepper. And you can grab and go with a 4-ounce bag or load up with an 18-ounce bag. That way you've got enough for the entire team or fam or both. If you don't see it, ask for Old Trapper by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what is your beef? Good night, no!